So I know growing up in sales, I was always taught if they like you, they'll buy from you. People buy from people they like. And that's, that's not true. People buy from people they trust. That's Dan Lappin. Today we're talking about building trust. It doesn't happen overnight and it's not always built in the way you think. I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin, and this is Breaking Sales, a non-conformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lappin 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. Today we're talking about a pretty big topic, trust. So Dan, let's kick things off. I would like to hear your definition of what trust is. Well, trust is pretty complicated. You know, it takes a long time to earn it, as we all know, and takes a second to lose it. I think from a sales standpoint, when a prospect trusts you, they're willing to debate something with you that they aren't sure they want to do, but they might need to do. They're willing to be vulnerable with you about the idea of making a change. And they look to you for guidance. From a sales standpoint, I think that's an extremely high level of trust when a, when a prospect is willing to debate their vulnerabilities and talk to you about doing something that they're afraid to do or uncertain to do. Well, they have to have a certain level of comfortability to put themselves out there and trust that you're not going to use that against them to sell or push your agenda. There's actually different layers of trust that occur within a sales conversation or within a human conversation. So the number one, the first layer is this layer of harm or help. So when, when we meet other human beings, we're not trying to decide if we like them. I know some people would argue that point. We're actually trying to decide if we can trust them. And then the like comes after that. Like I'll give you an example. Anthropologists, they've done studies and they hypothesized that the idea of trust and harm or help came from 50,000 years ago. You know, you have one tribe literally that had a kill, but had no fire and had no shelter. And then up on a hill, you had another tribe that didn't have food, but they had fire and they had a shelter. One tribe would approach the other tribe 50,000 years ago. You had to find out real quick if that interaction you were about to have was going to harm or help you, because in many cases, you didn't get a second chance. And so anthropologists believe that whole thought process or that whole natural instinct to determine if we can trust each other started back then. And it's evolved since. So the first thing your prospects are trying to do when they sit down with you, literally is trying to figure out, is this interaction going to harm or help them? And I'm sure just going back to our last episode, that when a salesperson shows up to promote their own agenda, that feels like you're there to harm them. You're definitely not there to help them. So that's my alternative. And I look back on my own career and think about all the sales conversations I showed up for, trying to get the outcome, trying to get a second meeting, wanting to share my expertise. What I was really telling that prospect was, I'm there to harm them because I'm there to serve my own needs. So that's the first level of trust that your prospects are trying to figure out. The second level is this idea of, can I be vulnerable? Will my vulnerability be used against me? We as human beings do not like to be judged and critiqued, and we do not like putting ourselves in a position to be judged or critiqued. 
So think about it. You're asking the prospect these questions. Remember, your prospects, they're answering them based on how are you going to use my honesty or my vulnerability against me? Are you going to judge and critique me? If they feel like you're going to use it against them, they're going to give you surface level answers. They're going to give you half-baked answers. So what are the other layers? Does it go deeper? It goes a little bit deeper. Okay. The next layer is this thing called value exchange. Put yourself in that cup of coffee mindset. You were having a cup of coffee with me in episode one. I'm asking you questions and listeners do the same. I'm asking you questions. For most of you, you're thinking, what is the value of me answering this question and being honest? What is in it for Dan? What's in it for me? There's a value exchange that has to occur. And if you don't, and you're not clear on the value of answering and being honest, you're going to hold back. The last layer that your prospects go through is what we call delayed reciprocity. It's, it's human nature. And that means for your prospect to gain an advantage that you're promising them by switching to your services, they've got to go first. They have to face the fear of uncertainty and the unknown by giving you the approval, making the change before they ever receive the benefit of it. So they got to put themselves on the line first by saying, yes, I'm going to switch my services. I'm going to switch my business to you. Then and only then do they put themselves in a position to receive the value of making that change. And for them, what if the change doesn't go right? What if they don't get that value? So that's where that delayed reciprocity comes in. Okay. So I'm with you so far. This all sounds pretty challenging, if I'm being honest. <laughs> it doesn't sound like an easy feat, especially if you think through how long it takes to develop trust with some of our personal relationships. Salespeople have a much shorter time to try and do that. So how do we do that? Well, if you, if you think back on episode one, we talked about this idea of letting go of outcomes. Extremely important. When we let go of outcomes, we're much more in the moment. We uh, listen better and we ask better questions. But let me flip this on you and the listeners to give you a sense of like, how do you build trust? You know, if I go out and talk to audiences, which I do all the time across the country, it's, I ask, well, so how do you build trust? Uh, we do a really good job at making sure the client or the prospect is well-serviced. We do a really good job of making sure we do what we say we're going to do. We show up on time. We don't miss deadlines. Uh, I'm not sure that's really building trust. Is it a key component maybe to being credible and showing yourself as dependable? Yes. Building trust? No. So let's do this. Right now, think about three people in the world that you trust. Listeners, please do the same. Think about three people in the world that you trust. Write down next to their names how long you've known them, and then write down why do you trust them. So Kylie, since we're talking here today- All right, I'm in the hot seat. You're in the hot seat. Tell me why you trust these three people. Well, I mean, on my list would be my parents. I've known them my whole life. So, you know, years of of knowing them would be a, one of those reasons. I know that they've got my best interests at heart. They're always going to tell me what I need to hear. Sometimes that means tough love. And then I think, you know, some of my friends who know me really well, they challenge me. They call me out when I need it. They push me to grow and be better. So I would say those are 
probably some of my fundamental reasons. So I've asked this question many times in our workshops, and I hear the same thing. The person, you have a history with them. They have your best interests at heart. There's commonalities. You see the world the same way, all that stuff. The three reasons why we trust a human being is they have our best interests at heart. They're consistent with it. And Kylie, you got it. They'll call us out. They'll only call us out though, if it's in our best interest. And if you think about it in sales, how many of us have made the mistake of calling somebody out, but it was more in our best interest? That's not trust. You actually lose trust. So three ways to build trust fit right into what we do in sales, right? So let's go a little further with that. Let's pretend you're going to make a decision and listeners, the same thing. You're going to make this decision. It's called decision A. You think decision A is the right thing for you to do. One of these people that you wrote down though, that you say you trust is telling you "Mm -mm, it's decision B. You should be thinking about and proceeding with decision B. Kylie, in that instance, would you at least listen to this person's advice and consider and think about decision B? Yeah. I mean, obviously you're going to evaluate the options, the alternative and, you know, ask some questions and do some learning before making a decision. But yeah, I think it's definitely a possibility. So for you listeners out there, focus on what's the best interest for your prospect. Ask questions that are in the best interest of your prospect. And don't be afraid to call your prospect out if it's in their best interest. If you follow those guidelines, you will start building a much deeper degree of trust than anybody who's chasing a sale will do. Okay, Dan. So what if you know as a salesperson that working with you is not in their best interest? Are you telling me that as salespeople, we should tell the prospect not to work with us? Good question, Kylie. What I'm going to share, I want to caution the listeners. It's not a tactic. You have to do this and be genuine and authentic with it. You have to truly believe it. If you don't believe you're the right fit, you owe it to that prospect to tell them that. Now, you'll never be able to do that, though, if you bring the need to validate yourself, your need to receive a reward, or your need to hit quota into the meeting. But Building trust means being honest and putting the prospect first, no matter what. I'll give you an example. I was talking to an individual uh, about a week ago about doing a keynote opportunity, a speaking engagement. And uh, he was talking to me and another individual, and they were two different topics. And he was trying to decide which topic was best and could he combine both topics. And I asked him a few questions about what does he want the audience to get out of it, what does he think the impact needs to be and all of that? And I told him to go with the other individual. I thought that the other individual's topic was better aligned for his audience. He then spent the rest of the conversation trying to convince me why I was the better fit. So I'm curious, what do you think happened for him in that moment? What made him switch to pursuing you? I, I don't know. I just, I know I had his best interest at heart. And because of that, he allowed himself to debate what his options were right there in front of me, you know, and it might've been a little bit of you always want what you can't have, 
but that was unintentional. Again, it wasn't meant to be a tactic or a maneuver on my part. But I think there's some truth in that. You always want what you can't have. Absolutely. I think it was Thrill a little of bit the of that. chase. You got it. You got it. Well, and I think he probably trusted you because you weren't just trying to push your agenda on him. In fact, you did the exact opposite thing, which demonstrated, you already said it, you have his best interests at heart. But I think ultimately, because he shifted gears like that, it meant that he trusted you. Yeah. If we go back to what we talked about um, in a previous episode on number one, remember how we talked about not wanting and needing something from somebody? I think he could tell that I didn't want and need something from him. And so because of that, um, that shifted his honesty and his energy and the effort that he put into our dialogue. So Dan, let's pretend he ends up going with the other guy. You don't get that sale. You're not going to be a keynote speaker for them. What do you think the long-term impact or the lasting impression that he will have of you will be? Always hard to tell, right? Everybody's wired differently. I would think in my past experiences, it's shown that when he has a need for someone like myself to talk about conversations and human dynamics and the psychology of how we make decisions, he'll probably give me a call. And it'll probably be a, a very easy conversation between the two of us. And I've had things like that happen in the past. This takes me back to one of the common phrases that you tell us often is it doesn't mean anything yet. You know, the sale didn't work out this time, but it doesn't mean anything yet because there may be future opportunities. And who knows who he knows and who he may refer to you. So I think that there is a, a long-term play in doing that. Yeah, there is, Kylie. I mean, when we as sales professionals, when we allow our need for immediate gratification to take a hold of us, we tend to lose that idea of nothing's permanent. You know, when we seek immediate gratification, and believe me, I've been guilty of it, but when we seek immediate gratification, um, we tend to look at everything as permanent. Oh, we didn't get it. We move on. Or it didn't happen this time. Forget it. I'll never do business with them. Um, I think that's a very dangerous mindset to have. Good news or bad news, it doesn't mean anything yet. And the yet is, and it brings an impermanence to the outcome, which is very important in our business. I'm understanding the different layers of trust and how we go about building it. How do we as salespeople know if we've built trust with the prospect? Well, think about it. And for you listeners, I know you've got many of these sales calls and these prospecting conversations on your calendar. You've probably had many over the past couple of years. You know, you go into a prospect meeting for the first time. You ask some questions. The prospect seems engaged. They're answering your questions. They start talking to you about change. Some of you might even pick up what you would call traditional buying signals. So they start asking buying questions. Before you know it, you're given a presentation. The presentation's going well. You end up winning. And then you walk away from that experience thinking, wow, you must be really good at building trust. I'd probably argue differently. And, and here's why. Why did the prospect make the decision to buy from you? More than likely, it's because they did the hard work on deciding and debating change before you ever showed up. So they 
fall into that two out of 10 category that we talk about, which is two out of 10 prospects will think through and decide on change before a sales professional ever shows up. So you ended up sitting with one of those two out of 10. A, I'll say congratulations, you got the win. But B, I'm going to argue a bit, did you really build any trust? Because think about it, going into a meeting and just setting the tone with the meeting and building trust in the beginning of the meeting is a lot different level of trust than having that person go to their board or go to their executive committee and say, hey, I think we need to make a change here. I know nothing's broken with what we're currently doing, but I think we need to go and make a change and do this differently. The level of trust between the beginning of the meeting and just building rapport and having that person go in and champion your solution in a board meeting, very different level of trust. Let's put you in the position of salesperson. How do you go into that meeting and build trust so that you are creating that champion who goes to the board? How is it done? Building off of what we've talked about so far, number one, I release all expectations. I've made plenty of mistakes. I have blown plenty of probably great opportunities in my day by allowing myself to get a little too pumped up for whatever reason uh, about the conversation and having expectations. So the number one is release expectations. They don't matter and they really don't. No outcome in mind. Yeah. What's number two? Then it's no outcome, which is there's no win, there's no good, there's no bad, there's no failure. There's no good or bad in any of their answers. It doesn't mean anything yet. It is what it is. It is what it is. And number three, focus my listening on them. What is in their best interest? How are they describing things? I try to play a third party where I try to make believe that I don't have skin in the game. I'm there truly to consult them on option A, option B, or no option at all. And I take that approach in my listening and I take that approach in how I ask my questions. Okay. So as you're sitting there listening, what are some of the things you're listening for or what's going through your mind? I'm listening for what matters to them. You know, you asked a question earlier, and I'm not sure I did a, a thorough job in answering it. I know there's trust in a meeting, not because they say they want a second meeting. That absolutely means nothing. I could actually gain that and have very little trust with the prospect because if they've already made a decision to buy, they're going to get a second meeting. They're going to give one. What I really look for is Will that prospect, that other human being across from me, sit and objectively debate the pros and cons of what they're doing, how they're doing it, and could they get better? Are they willing to be vulnerable in that debate? Will they share what they think they should improve on and why? I look for that in a meeting. If I can have a conversation with another human being or a prospect where the prospect is debating that kind of change, that's trust. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to make a change, but I know trust has been established if they're willing to talk through it with me. And I think going back to one of your previous points, they have to know that their vulnerability is not going to be used against them. And I think that's the key that you're describing. So how do you make them feel comfortable? Make the questions about them. Empathy. You know, we talk about this sometimes, Kylie, where it's one thing to get an honest answer, and that's great. But if you think about it, 
we can give honest answers. So as you as listeners out there, I'm asking you questions and you're sitting in that coffee shop with me. You can be honest with me. You could say, yeah, you know what, Dan, that's an area I need to improve. And that was honest, but you've still kept me at a distance. You haven't let me in yet. Vulnerability is when you let me in and you might say, yes, I can improve in that area, but here's why I need to improve. Now you're letting me in. And so in order to generate that type of dialogue with a prospect or another human being, you do have to build trust. And if we go back to those three core trust values we talked about earlier, number one, have the best interest of the other person in mind, be consistent with it and be willing to call them out long as it serves them. In order to do that, you can't worry if they like you. You can't worry about rapport. You can't worry about pain. You can't be thinking about getting a second meeting. And you clearly can't be worried about the commission you're going to make if the meeting goes well. If any of those things are in your head, you're not going to be able to establish the trust that you need to ask the type of questions that are appropriate that that prospect deserves. Yeah. I, I mean, the commission is just a byproduct of doing the right thing and truly helping the prospect debate a decision. Okay, Dan, wrapping up, give us one thing that our listeners can go implement today around trust. What I'm going to share is going to sound crazy, um, but it's a very consistent way to build trust. And that is compartmentalize any need that you have for a specific outcome. If you think about it, we as human beings get attached to everything. We get attached to our successes. We get attached to outcomes. We get attached to our experiences. We get attached to our memories. We get attached to the idea of future rewards. We get attached to everything. So by compartmentalizing that, that's going to free you up to focus on what's best for the prospect, which should have a direct correlation with how you listen and the questions that you ask. All right, Dan, let's shift gears and move on to our next segment, Change the Conversation. This is where we take a dive into some of our real-life examples of prospect outreach that we've received. This one comes to us as a voicemail. So this was left on my phone. I'll read it to you, and then I want your gut reactions. Hi, Kylie. It's Sally Smith with Company ABC. Wanted to reach out to you, potentially introduce myself to you. Um, I wanted to share with you some of the research we've been doing, um, particularly around some stuff like employee engagement, analytics, uh, and um, employee development. I uh, would love to introduce myself to you and share with you some of this research. Um, and I think there's a lot of similarities between our two companies um, and would love to have the conversation with you about it. Number here is 123-456-7890. Thanks, Kylie, and have a great day. And before you start, I intentionally included all of the uh and ums for a treat. The person sounded very nervous. They did not have a clear reason for reaching out to you, threw a lot of stuff at you in hopes that something would catch your attention. And it felt like they wanted and needed something from you. My gut is you're probably not calling them back right away. Would that be a true assessment? I didn't call them back at all. I just deleted the voicemail. Again, like we hear a lot, there was all about them. I would love to. Right away, this individual told you that any meeting that they were going to have with you was going to be about them. 
Yeah, a lot of eyes. I, 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 I. I would love to get together. I would love to get to know. I would like. That's what salespeople say. And it triggers that to the prospect that any conversation with that salesperson is going to be all about that salesperson. Yeah. And I think the other thing I noticed was a lot of indirect communication. Like, get to the point. What are you calling me for? She mentioned she's been doing some research and doesn't really point to anything that has to do with me or my business. So I think advice on this one is get get to the point and tell me why you're reaching out. We both know this is a sales call. Or at least tell you why they think the research would be pertinent or interesting to you. All right. So let's tie this voicemail back to some of the earlier concepts that we talked about. Does this conversation harm or help me? Does this interaction harm or help me? From what I've heard from this voicemail, it's all about her. She mentioned what she would love, what she would like, what she wants. None of that is about me. And when I'm going back to harm or help, if it's not about me, it potentially is going to be harmful because it's going to be a waste of my time. If she's not focused on what I need or what the business needs, it's not it's not help. I would agree, Kylie. She told you that any time spent with her was going to be about her, not about you. And so that would trigger your innate harm or help response. For you listeners out there, don't make it about you. Make it about the person you're reaching out to. Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapin180.com. That's L-A-P-P-I-N 180.com. And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. Kylie out. All right. Do we have another episode?